welcome everyone to the Southern Spectre Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah. And as always, thanks for listening. On today's show, we'll take a trip to Alabama to see why it's considered one of the most haunted southern states. But first, if you haven't done so already, be sure to follow me on Facebook at the Southern Spectre Podcast Facebook page and on Instagram at the Southern Spectre. There you'll find behind the scenes photos and the latest news with the show. And if you love travel, food, history, and culture, then be sure to be on the lookout for my second show, The Southern Spoonful Podcast, coming soon. You can follow us on Instagram at The Southern Spoonful Podcast to keep up with the latest updates for the show. That show is really coming together quite nicely, very well, and I honestly, I couldn't be more proud of it. Also, if you like good music and just all-around good time, be sure to check out the Carolina Nights Radio Show. Unfortunately, this show is only available on Spotify, so if you have a Spotify account, you can look it up, Carolina Nights Radio Show. I've already done one of those. It's just where I play good music and talk a little bit. That's about it. It's my chance to cut up a little bit more, so to speak. So, But if you'd like to be involved with that, you can actually call in this Thursday, April 1st, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and you can talk to me directly. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can reach me at 803-999-7222. Easy as that. Any other time during the week, if you were to call that number, you can leave a voicemail. As long as I get your voicemail, your request, before Friday night, when I finish putting the show together, you'll be featured in an upcoming episode on Saturday night. That number again is 803-999-7222. If you give me a call, you'll be featured on Saturday's show. Now, on with the show. Sloss Furnace operated from 1882 to 1971 and was formed by Colonel James Withers Sloss. James Sloss was one of the many founders of Birmingham, Alabama. In 1881, he started his very own company, Sloss Furnace Company. Sloss Furnace Company would be Birmingham's first blast furnace, and so it was built on land that had been donated by Ellington Land Company. The two Whitwell-type furnaces were 60 feet tall and 18 feet in diameter. The first blast was performed in April 1882. In their first year, Sloss Furnace would produce 24,000 tons of iron, and in 1883, at the Southern Expo, Sloss would win the bronze medal. In 1886, James W. Sloss would retire and sell off his company to investors. The investors reorganized the company and rebranded Sloss Furnace as Sloss Sheffield Steel and Iron Company. Unfortunately, the company would use convict laborers, mainly African Americans, that had been purchased through a system known as peonage or bonded labor. Peonage is the pledge of a person's services as security for the repayment for a debt or obligation where the terms of the repayment are not clearly or reasonably stated, and the person who is holding the debt thus 
has some control over the laborer. The long and short of it is this. Local sheriffs would arrest men, often African-American men, on fraudulent charges of vagrancy, and Sloss would purchase these men as debt laborers. Over the years, Sloss would modernize most of its equipment, including blowers, boilers, and rebuilt furnaces. James Pickering DeVell would be made superintendent of construction, and over the next 21 years, DeVell would patent 17 patents that were in use at Sloss. This gave Sloss an innovative reputation, which in time would make Sloss Sheffield the second largest seller of pig iron in the district and one of the largest in the world. U.S. Pipe and Foundry Company acquired Sloss Furnaces in 1952 and was sold almost 20 years later to Jim Walter Corporation. Due to the air pollution in the area and the U.S. Clean Air Act, this would encourage the closing of Sloss Furnace. The Jim Walter Corporation would close down the furnace two years later and donate the property to the Alabama State Fair. In 1976, the site was documented in the American Engineering Record. It was voted in as a preservation site in 1977. A visitor center was constructed, and Sloss Furnaces became a historic landmark in 1981. As if the history behind the Sloss Furnace Company isn't dark enough, here's another tale. James Robert Wormwood, better known as Slag, was notorious in his role as a foreman. Slag supposedly was hired onto the company in 1903 to work the graveyard shift. Slag was downright cruel and unforgiving to the men he was in charge of. Slag would force the workers under his watch to ramp up production so much that it cost many their lives. Working conditions in a furnace such as Sloss were not ideal to say the least. Higher temperatures, hazardous breathing air, along with few breaks was recipe for disaster. Almost 50 workers had died under Slag's time at Sloss. Slag would soon meet his end when he fell from the tallest glass furnace and into the hellfire below, that is, hot molten iron. Legend says that some of his workers worked together to rid themselves of Slag. Some argue that Slag never even existed. However, there are those that say he can still be heard belittling his crew and forcing them to work ever the harder. One of the more gruesome deaths that occurred here at Sloss is one of an employee on his lunch break. It's said he was sitting near a large flywheel and came a little too close for comfort. The flywheel caught his clothing and dragged him through the gears until there was nothing left. Screams have been heard, dark apparitions have been seen, and a dark presence believed to be Slag himself can still be felt here. Huntington College was established in Montgomery, Alabama as a private Methodist liberal arts college. A young woman by the name of Martha had traveled to Huntington College from New York 
as her father's will had instructed. According to her father's will, young Martha must attend Huntington just as her grandmother had, or she would relinquish all rights to her father's large fortune and estate. Legend says that when Martha arrived to Huntington, she was dressed in a red dress and brought along her red drapes and red bed cover. Some students questioned Martha about her obsession with the color, but she just scoffed them off. Due to her obsession with the color red, most students would steer clear of Martha as they thought of her love for the color most peculiar. The school had tried its best to find a roommate for Martha who could deal with the girls, strange ways, and mostly red belongings. However, no matter who tried to stay with Martha, they all would end up leaving the situation behind. Then, the dormitory president, who was known to be kind and could be a friend to anyone, took it upon herself to resolve the issue, so she moved into the dorm room with Martha. The girl tried her best to reach out as a friend to Martha, but Martha had grown so cold and bitter with the multitudes of girls who had shunned her, she could not be reached. After the dorm president had exalted all of her efforts to befriend Martha, she had enough and proceeded to pack up all her belongings to exit herself from the room. Just as she was about to make her departure, Martha walked in and assessed the scene, as she was caught off guard by the girl's departure. Martha was so furious with the girl, she looked her square in the eye and said, So you couldn't stand me either, like all the rest of your stuck-up friends. I was beginning to think you really wanted me to be your friend, but you hate me just like the rest. Well, I'm glad to be rid of you. Take your things and go. But I'll tell you one thing, my dear. For the rest of your life, you'll regret leaving this room. <laughs> the house president was disturbed by Martha's outburst, to say the least, but went about with her studies and activities just the same, until she had forgotten all about Martha's grave warning. Shortly after, Martha began making a habit of roaming the halls and slipping in and out of rooms where other girls would be gathered. Martha would stop and watch the girls until the girls would feel uneasy and they would leave the area. Soon, Martha would make her way back to her room where she would wrap herself in her red bedspread. This strange behavior soon took an even stranger turn as Martha would wait till the darkest hours of the night when no one was awake, except for her of course. She would roam through the dormitories, one after another. She never spoke a word, only staring into the abyss of night, as if lost in a trance. Martha often scared those girls unaware of her presence by opening and closing their doors. One night, Martha's former roommate, the dorm president, had not seen Martha at any of her classes or present at any meal that day. Something told the girl that she needed to go check on Martha. So she headed toward Martha's room. As she approached the room, there are those that say the girl witnessed flashes of red coming through the door into the hallway. Once she reached Martha's door and opened it, she screamed and fainted. Other girls heard this and ran to find out what was all the commotion about. 
When the girls looked inside, there was Martha lying on the floor, dressed in her red robe and draped in her red bedspread, and red was all around her. Martha had slashed her wrists. Legend says that on the alleged date of Martha's death, rays of crimson light can be seen flashing from her room, and that's when the Red Lady roams the halls. Some students have even claimed to have seen the Red Lady passing through the walls and closed doors. The Tom Bigbee River is a tributary of the Mobile River in Mississippi and Alabama. Together with the Alabama, it merges to form the short Mobile River before it empties into Mobile Bay at the Gulf of Mexico. The name Tom Bigbee comes from the Choctaw Indians and means box maker or coffin maker. The Tom Bigby River steamboat, known as the Eliza Battle, ran route between Columbus, Mississippi and Mobile, Alabama during the 1850s. Operated by the firm Cox, Brainerd & Company, the Eliza Battle was a side-wheeled paddle steamer and had a size of 316 tons. She was launched in New Albany, Indiana in 1852 and was one of the most luxurious river boats at that time. The Eliza Battle was captained by S. Graham Stone and piloted by Daniel Epps on its last drop in 1858. By the time the Eliza had left Demopolis on February 28, 1858, the ship was fully loaded with passengers and more than 1,200 cotton bales. The night was already blustery and cold when a strong wind came upon the steamboat. At two in the morning on March 1st, 1858, it was discovered that a fire had started to the cotton bales sometime in the night and was quickly spreading due to the strong winds. The passengers and crew could not reach the lifeboats due to the raging fire and were at the mercy of the icy river. The Eliza Battle came to rest near Kemp's Landing near Alabama State Route 114 Bridge. Survivors were rescued by another ship known as the Magnolia and local residents. Most of the deaths were due to drowning or the extreme cold. The ship sank below the icy waters in 28 feet of water and remained there still today. Legend has it that on cold, windy winter nights, the Eliza Battle can be seen where the disaster took place and it's fully engulfed in flames. Those who see the ghost ship take it as an ominous warning to those still on the water. That's going to do it for today's show, ladies and gentlemen. I know it's been a short one, but I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. So, in two weeks' time, I will see you all back here. I hope you all are staying safe. I hope you take care of each other. I've been your host, Isaiah. Take care.